0: Let's turn now to the portion we read, friends, Revelation chapter 1, and we can take for our reference verse 7, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. And especially these words at the beginning of that verse. Behold, he cometh with clouds. This is a reference to the um, first coming, uh, to the second coming rather of Jesus Christ. And that second coming is going to be vastly different from his first coming. That was when the Son of God appeared in time, space, and history 2,000 years ago. And that was, relatively speaking, a quiet affair. Whereas his second coming will be a far more dramatic affair for the whole world, I hasten to add. Now, that first coming, 2,000 years ago, was witnessed only by a handful of people, whereas the second coming is going to be very different. Every eye shall see him. You're going to see him, and I'm going to see him also. But then, so will is every enemy. The end of the verse. They also which pierced him. Referring, of course, to those who crucified our Lord at Calvary. Now, our interest this evening is not actually on the second coming of Christ, important and significant as that might be, rather it's on this description, often coming with clouds, coming with clouds. Now that phrase, my friends, is actually quite packed with meaning and with instruction, not merely for Christian people, but indeed, for the whole world. Now, I'm quite sure that most of you are similar to myself when it comes to the book of Revelation. This is not an easy book to understand. It's got so much symbolism and so much um, emblems and imagery that are sometimes, at least for me, impossible to unravel and to Understand, but there are some parts of the revelation, and especially in the first three chapters, very easy to understand and very instructive to the Christian Church in all ages. Now, I think it's important for you just in in a passing if you are interested in this book and if you um, wish to pursue the meaning of these symbols, uh, further for your own edification and instruction, I would ask this of you, that you choose carefully what authors you read, because there is excessive speculation in many of the books that are available on this subject. So it's safest for you to stick with reformed authors such as Matthew, Henry, or Hendrickson. Now, even this chapter isn't without its mysterious symbols, like the picture we have of Jesus Christ in verses 13 through 16. Very mysterious way of depicting our Savior. But despite all of that, this must have been A singularly unique experience for the Apostle John when he found himself isolated in the island of Patmos. However, we're only going to touch on what's implied here by that phrase, he cometh with clouds. First of all, I would like to look with you at the background to This subject. Now, I hasten to add, this is not a lesson on the type of clouds that are familiar to us and perhaps too familiar to us, uh, the clouds in the skies over our heads. I do understand, by the way, that even those clouds are a fascinating subject to study. There's a lot to learn evidently, from the natural clouds, if I can put it that way. No, we're talking here about a supernatural cloud. Sometimes it's presented to us in the plural. It's a supernatural cloud which was created by God for a specific purpose. And these supernatural clouds existed only in biblical times. And they're not unlike other supernatural activity on God's part in the biblical era. They were introduced for a certain period and for a certain purpose. Now, this particular cloud will appear one more time at the consummation of history, and that's the reference we have here at the beginning of verse 7. Meanwhile, The Hebrews, in their history, they gave this cloud two titles. Sometimes they called it the glory cloud. And sometimes they called it the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory. That's S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H. The Shekinah glory. Now, you won't find that word In your Bible, because it's not there. It is a transliteration of a Hebrew word meaning to dwell, denoting the presence of God amongst his people. Hence, the Shekinah, that term and concept in biblical usage, is often associated with a New Testament phrase. In John chapter 1, concerning Jesus, John one fourteen, the word was made flesh and dwelt or shekinah amongst us. That's why John added in that instance, and we beheld his glory, the glorious, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this shekinah glory spoke clearly to the Hebrew people of biblical times of God's presence among them. However, it testified to far more than God's existence. Always remember the distinction between the existence of God and the presence of God. These are two very distinct concepts. Every element of creation, as we were reminded in one of our songs this evening, every element of of creation has that testimony to the existence of God. And you remember the wonderful testimony of Psalm 19 to that end. Whereas the Shekinah cloud spoke of the very presence and the nearness of God to his people. So oftentimes its effect on those people, on those that were the Lord's people, its effect was often measured in terms of fear and reverence and awe and veneration. And frequently when people are acutely aware of God's presence... This is the effect upon them. One of the Psalms reminds us, Psalm 89, great reverence and fears to be had in the congregation of the saints. Our forefathers, during revival times, were very familiar with this feeling, this impact that God's presence and nearness had upon them. You remember when Jacob had that amazing dream with the ladder going up to heaven in Genesis chapter 28. You remember what he said? Surely he said, the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. In other words, he didn't know it, but he felt it. He was acutely aware of the presence of God, in that vision. And that's also, I believe, the effect that the presence of God had on Moses in that burning bush. Take your shoes from off your feet. Why? Because you're on holy ground. How was it holy ground? Because of the presence of Almighty God. That's how it was on holy ground. Now, when the children of Israel realized that God was in that thick cloud covering Mount Sinai. Here's what they said, or what is said of them in Exodus chapter 19. All the people in the camp trembled. They trembled at the presence of the living God. They didn't tremble at the thunder, or the lightning, or the trumpets blowing, not even at the cloud. These were all familiar sights and sounds to them. What made them tremble was the acute sense of God's presence and God's nearness accompanying those sights and sounds. So when it pleases God... His presence cannot be hidden, and his presence cannot be denied. How could it be otherwise? For the sovereign, eternal, immutable, and all-powerful God of heaven and earth, the God of whom we write or read, even the heavens cannot contain him. Now, that awesome presence, it was... uh, See the effect of this in the preaching of the gospel. When these early apostles went out with a message of salvation, this is what turned the world upside down. Not the apostles' ability to preach, but the presence of God accompanying the message they were preaching. And that's precisely, my friends, the a result of the presence of God in the highlands of Scotland, during revival times. This is what made Scotland a God-fearing nation, or at least the God-fearing nation we once were. Ordinary citizens echoed the sentiments of Jacob, the Lord was in this place, and he would not. Many, my friends, didn't know him. But they felt the divine presence throughout their communities, and that was undeniable. You can see it or those of you who are old enough, you will remember how this impacted even heathen people living throughout our communities. I was brought up in a village that was very heathen. Lots of people had never went to church. but my word, my friends. They knew there was a divine presence. There was a divine presence. That's why they kept the Sabbath. They never went to church, but they kept the Sabbath. That's why many of them were afraid. They were afraid of the reality that was God's presence in our community and in our churches. Let me move secondly to the appearances of this Shekinah glory. It appeared, first of all, interestingly, not in Israel, where you would perhaps expect it to have appeared first. No, it appeared first in Egypt. God's people, as you know, had been held prisoners in Egypt for hundreds of years. Now, for a long time, that suited them, because the influence of Joseph made sure that they were comfortable and well catered for. But, as always, Time moves on. Joseph died. And not long after that, everything changed in Egypt. The political situation changed. The pharaohs that were familiar with Joseph and the benefits he brought to Egypt, they died also. And then arose a pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And everything then changed towards God's people. The whole attitude of Egypt changed towards them, and that left them eventually crying to heaven for help and deliverance, and it came. God delivered them in his own inimitable way. Now, remember that exodus out of Egypt, the uh, physical dimensions of that exodus. We can scarcely get our head around it, Anything up to 2 million people, perhaps more, the accurate number defies us. This was the only time in world history, and the only time it ever will be, that a pillar of cloud, the Shekinah, and a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night, led 2 million people for 40 years Day and night. Exodus 13. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, and by night in a pillar of fire. Now, notice the preface to that. The Lord went before them. That was the main message to the children of Israel. Not the phenomena of the mysterious cloud and fire, but the presence of the living God. The Lord went before them. That was the first appearance. And then thereafter, the Shekinah appeared on numerous occasions in biblical history. I want to touch on just some of the more significant examples of this. After delivering the children of Israel from Egypt, the Shekinah appeared then on the top of Mount Zairai. Exodus 24, we read, the glory of the Lord appeared upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. For 60, nearly a week, these people, two million of them, focused their eyes on that mountain. And they watched, and they waited, wondering what was going to happen next. They knew something was going to happen. And then out of that smoke came that great man Moses, holding in his hands two tablets of stone. Two tablets of stone upon which God had written with his own finger what we know as the Ten Commandments, and what is in effect the moral. Ethical and religious code for all of mankind for all of time. So, from the Shekinah came the secret to pleasing God. Our world has changed beyond all recognition since those days of primitive living. But, nevertheless, the significance And the value and the benefits of those Ten Commandments remain steadfast in every age and always will. Now, here's something I want to leave with you just in the passing for you to ponder on. I'm not going to develop it. When we read those Ten Commandments, they are very plainly set out in Exodus chapter 20 and also for those of you who are familiar with your Shorter Catechism. But what I want to point out to you is the interpretation Christ put on those Ten Commandments. You'll find this in Luke chapter 10. Love, he said, the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, soul, strength, mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Love when you read through Exodus 20, there's no word of love. Love is not mentioned. I'll leave that for yourselves to ponder. The next appearance of the Shekinah was when the children of Israel constructed their famous tabernacle. Now, this was to be a temporary building made of animal skins designed to be moved from location to location. And it was the first construction designed as a place dedicated to the worship of the living God. So immediately, the tabernacle was complete. What happened? The Shekinah came down from heaven. Listen to this. verse: Exodus 40, verse 34. A cloud, the Shekinah covered the tent, and the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. They were left in no doubt that God's presence was in their midst. Now, surely there is a lesson here for the Christian church in all ages. You see, when Moses built that tabernacle, he was told, this was very specific, because it's repeated in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 8, See, God said to him, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown thee on the mount. And because he did, the Shekinah came down. God's presence was evidenced amongst them. Here's the question I would like to pose Is then the absence of God's glory amongst ourselves Is that the result of us not doing things the way God has instructed us? Is that why we are not experiencing the presence and the power and the majesty of the living God in our day and in our generation? One thing is sure, my friends. We desperately need that the Shekinah glory of God's presence would come down upon us. The next example of the Shekinah cloud was on the Day of Atonement. This was a great day in Israel. And on this day, there was much pomp and ceremony and ritual taking place, whilst addressing the problem of sin. This was a day dedicated to addressing the problem of sin. Now, on that day, the ruling high priest, prepared himself to enter into that room called the Holy of Holies. I mentioned this briefly in the morning. And in the process, he went through an elaborate washing ritual and adorned himself with spotless white garments and then put on the regalia of the high priest. And then he prepared to go through the curtain into the holy of holies. But he dare not go in without a vessel in his hands bearing blood. That was the key to being accepted in the presence of God. He had to bear the blood in his hands. Now, When he went through that curtain, the first thing he saw was the Shekinah glory cloud hovering over the mercy seat between the cherubim. What a sight that must have been. We sometimes sing about this in Psalm 80. O thou that dost between the cherubim abide. The Lord in the Shekinah glory cloud, in the holy of holies. And just to demonstrate how awesome and solemn and sacred that moment was, we are told, listen to this, Exodus 40, verse 35. Moses was not able to enter the tent because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses. One of the greatest men in biblical history. But even he could not enter into the Holy of Holies because it wasn't his place. That was assigned to his brother Aaron. But even Aaron couldn't go through unless he had that precious vessel bearing blood to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. And if he didn't have that, listen to this again. Leviticus 16, tell him, tell Aaron not to approach lest he die. Oh, my friends, the Shekinah glory was something to behold. Another outstanding example of the Shekinah was at the dedication of Solomon's temple. This is where Solomon gave one of the greatest prayers ever offered from the face of the earth. Now, that Jerusalem temple was to be the dedicated meeting place with God for a long, long time between God and his people. And his presence would be experienced there more than any other single location in Old Testament history. Again and again and again over the years, the Shekinah glory cloud came down upon the temple in Jerusalem with God meeting his people. So we read in 1 Kings chapter 8. The cloud, this is after Solomon's prayer. The cloud filled the house of the Lord. Oh, my friends, would you not love for that to happen here this evening? That the glory cloud of God's presence would fill those Howard walls where we are gathered. Now, in one sense, it all makes Old Testament Israel utterly unique and its Hebrew people, the most privileged and blessed on this earth. And we imagine that these three great tokens of God's presence, the Shekinah glory cloud, the ark and the holy of holies, we would imagine that would secure their fidelity to God in every situation and in every generation. But that's not what happened. That's not what history reveals to us. In fact, these things stood for nothing on far too many occasions in their history. You see, the mistake they were making, in part at least, was that they were trusting in these tokens instead of trusting in the God who gave him the tokens in the first place. I think there's a solemn lesson there for ourselves. Many such tokens make us the most blessed of all people in our day and generation. Despite the complaints we have, we are still richly blessed in the providence of God. But are there not some people present here this evening who are trusting in the tokens of God's blessing upon them and upon their homes and upon their families rather than trusting in the God who gave them the tokens? How many people are trusting their soul's welfare on their baptism? And on their upbringing, and on the church attendance, and on their Bible reading, and on their prayers, and much else besides. But, my friends, I urge upon you, these are just tokens, just like the Shekinah glory cloud, just like the Ark of the Covenant, just like the Mercy Seed, they're tokens. Focus your heart and your mind and your soul, your confidence and your trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No one else. Indeed, anything else is a distraction that could cost you dearly. Let me move thirdly to look at the Shekinah glory in the New Testament. Because the Shekinah glory cloud was a type, we could expect it to diminish and even disappear with the first coming of Christ. Yet it remained for a total of three occasions. And that says something for the significance of the glory cloud. Now, remember, each example of the Shekinah was directly related to the presence of God. And this is, of course, the God who is invisible the spirit invisible, eternal, and the God who reminded Moses, no man can see me and live. So he was pleased to represent himself in these types and symbols. However, it is only in Jesus Christ that we will ever see what the Bible itself calls in Colossians chapter 2, the fullness of the Godhead. Bodily in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the glory cloud did have a continuing role in the life of Jesus once during his life, once during his resurrection, and the third time, as we shall see, at his second coming. Now, the first time the glory cloud appeared in the New Testament was at the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, verse 5, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God confirming that he was in the midst of the glory cloud. And then the second appearance was when the cloud carried Jesus to his eternal rest in the paradise of God. Acts 1 verse 9. While they beheld. This is where the disciples had accompanied him. The Mount of Olives. And they were looking up. Watching Jesus being lifted up. This is what we read. While they beheld. He was taken up. In a cl- and a cloud received him. Out of their sight. The Shekinah glory cloud. And it's on the third occasion that the Shekinah glory cloud will appear for the last time. Now we read about this first of all in First Thessalonians 4.17. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. It's in the plural there, but it's the same thing. The Shekinah glory cloud. And that's what our text here in Revelations 1 verse 7 picks up on. Behold he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see. Now it's beyond question my friends that there is a certain amount of drama attached to the Shekinah glory cloud. It's just beyond question. But it is important for us To see beyond that drama, to see beyond the drama, to a great degree, my friends, the cloud was designed to veil what God was not yet ready to reveal. Now, the first coming of Christ revealed much of what God had veiled for thousands of years the second coming, will complete that revelation. It will complete the revelation. So at the final appearance of the Shekinah glory cloud. Every one of us present here this evening, children, young people, adults, we are all going to see him. Those of us who are committed Christians, And those of us who are mere attendees in this church from Sabbath to Sabbath, we are all going to see beyond that veil. Every eye shall see him. Now, if you are not committed to Jesus Christ here this evening, here's what you are going to see. Should you die in your sin, Here's what you are going to see. You are going to see the presence and the glory and the majesty of the Son of God. But more than that, you will also become acutely aware of his holiness, of his justice, of his vengeance, and of his wrath. And you will be aware of these things forever and ever, and ever. But those of us who are committed to Christ as our Savior, those of us who are born again Christians, we will not tremble. We will not be afraid. Because we are going to see things Accompanying that Shekinah glory cloud. God is going to reveal to us, my friends, the banner of his everlasting love to our souls. We are going to see and experience and appreciate the mercy and the grace and joy unspeakable and full of glory and we will see and appreciate and experience all of that through the endless ages of eternity. Forever and ever and ever. Now let me close with this. What will that final appearance of the Shekinah glory cloud mean? To you? Is it going to be good news or bad news? Is it going to be hope or despair? Is it going to be everlasting love or eternal regret and gnashing of teeth? Oh my friends, while the breath is still in your nostrils, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy, forgiveness, cleansing, and that precious gift that gold and silver cannot buy for you, everlasting life. In the paradise of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord. We thank thee. That we are not left. To imagine what lies. Behind the Shekinah glory cloud. It has been revealed to us. In the face of the Lord. Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Help us. To be appreciated of that enormous privilege that is set before us in the gospel and help those who are present here this evening who haven't yet enjoyed that privilege and blessing to cast themselves upon thy mercy and all glorify thyself by granting them the liberty of thy spirit and grace Bring them in under the shelter of the shed blood. Establish a meaningful relationship between them and the blessed Lord Jesus, in whose name we ask all things. Amen.